0: I was really nervous this week preparing this message and I'm usually not very nervous when I preach Um, Like in the early days I was but I mean uh, Megan and I have been on staff for eight years Uh, when I was a kid Uh, Dad would get his messages ready, and sometimes he would use, like, uh, big pieces of paper, you know, like we'd have, uh, like, poster board around the house, and while he would get his ready, I would sit down by him with a marker, and I would do messages on poster boards, Uh, so, and then I'd go into the basement, and I'd put all the stuffed animals up on those, we had this green metal bed, it's it's in Ashley's house right now, and that bed was huge when I was a kid, now it's all tiny and little, I I don't know what happened, but I would put all the stuffed animals on there, and I'd preach, and everybody got saved, I mean, I was doing something for God, so... Uh, I was really yeah i mean i was I was anointed back then, so we 'll see what happens today uh, so i 'm not too nervous, but I was really nervous about this because this message is about uh, Pastor Rusty and Miss Vicky, and uh n- not not in a bad way, so don 't you know it 's it's for you about them. And if you're wondering where Miss Vicky is, uh, I believe she's in nursery. She was in here in first service. And so uh, she was in here for that, but she's in nursery helping out because this service, usually right now I get to go in nursery and I teach all the older kids a lesson. And it is so much fun. y'all, know, you like, I may need some of y'all just to start standing up and walking around, you know, because that's what the kids do, and, uh, you know, like, right there, right there, and I would be like, sit down, sit down, pay attention, you know, they always want to touch the screen, the TV, and uh, we we did a message uh, last weekend about Jesus going to heaven after he was raised from the dead, and he floats up off the screen, and Liam, who's Jessica's little boy, says, I didn't know he could fly too. It's like, oh, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're hitting him on his level. It's like Jesus is like Superman. They're right there, you know. And so, so uh, you know, if y'all want to talk out or amen or, you know, it'll kind of help me. You know, Ground Zero is pretty wild, too. So, you know, if I'm like, sit down, you know, that's just the youth pastor. I always tell Dad, you know, it'd be fun to come in here on Sunday and treat y'all like kids because I'd be like, right there, you're out of here. Don't ever come back, you know. We're so hard. Poor teenagers. I know, gosh, we need to be nicer to them. So, what we're talking about is is the shepherd, which is Pastor Rusty and Miss Vicky. Now, when I say pastors or the pastor, uh, I I mean both of them. I don't mean just Pastor Rusty. I mean Pastor Rusty and Miss Vicky. Now, like I said, Megan and I started here about eight years ago. Uh, as As full, you started getting paid full time. Got hired here. Uh, obviously, Megan and I both have grown up in this church. Uh, I think Megan said they started coming when she was like seven or eight years old. Uh, they started coming here. Uh, I've been. I turned twenty nine last Sunday and I've been here all 29 years. Uh, The first three or four years are kind of blurry. Don't remember much about those. Um, But uh, you're supposed to laugh because I was a baby. So... First service, laugh No, it's okay. Um, but we been—I've been here my whole life. I've been in church my whole life. Um, anytime I go anywhere, and we talk about, you know, uh, I went to Bible school, at TBI, where we go to camp. Okay, and one of the one of the times, uh, Miss Rachel, who's the, the like the leaders, they started it. She told all the pastors' kids, "Hey, hey, stay after." So I stayed after because I'm a pastor's kid. And the kid next to me, I'm like, "Oh man, your dad's a pastor." And he's like, "Yeah, when he gets out of jail, we're starting a church." And I'm like, "I'm like, that's amazing. That's incredible. That's that is." was in jail. I mean, you know, I mean, that's amazing. Uh, But when I would tell kids like, oh yeah, my dad's a pastor. And they're like, oh, well, you know, where y'all at? Oh, Tulia, well, how long have you been there? And I'm like, 30 years, my whole life. And they're like, really? That's very rare for us to be in one place for that long. And so when I started here, uh, it was very hard because I went to work for my parents, and um, when I was in the eighth grade, coming out of my eighth grade year, I had a group of friends that I lost uh, over the end of my eighth grade year. We kind of had a fight. I don't know really what happened. I was thinking I need to call them and ask them what happened, and and I just lost my friends, this group of friends I was hanging out with, and it happens a lot. I mean, you know, junior high is a hard time for everybody, and so going into high school, I really lost a group of friends I was hanging out with, and it was really bad. Like you know, You go to school, and they ignore you. They act like they don't know you. It wasn't like you were kosher, but we just don't spend the night anymore. I mean, it was like bad. And so uh, I lost those friends. And so I really got close to my dad. We bought dirt bikes that summer and started riding dirt bikes. Uh, we bought a boat that summer. And it sounds like we bought a lot, but the boat was only like 1500 bucks. This is this little tri-hole boat, old thing, sitting out in the pasture in like Crest, Texas. And we're like, there's a boat. And it was like the best boat in the world. Somebody owns it like over here, and I want to go buy it. I want that boat back. And, and so we started going to the lake and we got really, really close. And then, you know, obviously I go through high school. Uh, I went to TBI, came back and started at church uh, and married Megan. And those first few years of being at church were really hard because – it, it, just the shift of it. Like you're my pastor and you're my boss. You're not just my dad. And, and so things really changed. And we, uh, Megan and I were going to Clovis, New Mexico to a church, uh, the youth pastor there. We knew him and he was doing these like groups where we got youth pastors together from the area. And we all met, we would watch these video series by Jeannie Mayo. You may know her, she's a youth pastor. Uh, you may know her, you may not, it doesn't matter. And she, her husband is the pastor and she's the youth pastor. And so she talked about that relationship about honoring your pastor and, and, and how your pastor is a gift from God and how to view them. And it really changed my perspective of my parents and how I came to a place where I realized like the relationship has to change. The way I was viewing it was wrong. And, and, and so it had to change because of the way that changed. Now, I'm gonna read you some scripture. I had a second Samuel, and this is about King David, the guy who killed David and Goliath. You know, he killed Goliath. And uh, the lion and the bear, he was a shepherd, anointed as king, And so this is later in his life. He's already king, and it's about his mighty men. Now, this is talking about like the top three. There was three head warriors in his mighty men. There was a 37. Uh, So there's a group of about 37 men, and they were his elite soldiers. And uh, I'm going to read this to you. Now, I'm going to read the names to the best of my ability. And uh, if you know them better than I do, then you can correct me after service. Uh, these are the names of David's mightiest warriors. The first was Jashubim, uh the Hakamite, uh, who was the leader of the three, the three mightiest warriors among David's men. He once used his spear to kill 800 enemy warriors in a single battle. Now, I want to stop right there because here's what I want you to understand. This is out of the Bible. We didn't make this up. This isn't untrue. This is recorded. Uh, this is 2 Samuel. He's a prophet. He wrote this stuff down. This is true. I know it sounds like a movie or, I mean, it'd be an awesome movie. I mean, we should do that. But, um, I mean, right? I mean, like, you can, kind of, you can kind of imagine, like, the look of 300, but this, it would be so cool. Uh, but, so, I don't want you to read this and think, oh, he killed 800 guys with, with his spear. Whatever. This is for real. We believe the Bible. Um, and so he killed 800 enemy warriors with a single battle. Next in rank among the three was Elazar, son of uh, Dodah, a, a descendant of Ahoy. Once Elazar and David stood together against the Philistines when the entire Israelite army had fled. So they're about to face the Philistines, and, and Elazar and David stand together against the entire uh, army of the philistines uh, when the entire israel army had fled and they all take off running they're scared everybody else runs and it says he killed philistines until his hand was too tired to lift his sword and and this is new living so the actual translation says that he fought until his hand froze to his sword I imagine they're out in this field fighting this battle, and it's snowing, and it's very, very cold. And the whole army flees as the Philistines and David and Elazar stay and fight. And he fights so long that at the end of the battle, he can't even lift his sword, and his hand is frozen to the handle. And this is all true. I mean... He killed Philistines until his hand was too tired to lift his sword, and the the Lord gave him a great victory that day. The rest of the army did not return until it was time to collect the plunder. So they killed everybody and are collecting the treasure, and here comes the whole army. Next in rank was Shammah, son of Agi uh, from Harar. One time, the Philistines gathered at Lee uh, and attacked the Israelites in a field full of lentils. The Israelite army fled. These guys were cowards. I mean, they were always running. Uh, But Shammah held his ground in the middle of the field and beat back the Philistines. So the Lord brought about a great victory. So kind of same scenario, and they're all running, and this other guy, one of the three, beats the Philistines back by himself so the Israelite army can get away. Now, here's where I want you to pay attention, verse 13. Once during the harvest, when David was at the cave of Adullam, the Philistine army was camped in the valley of Rephim. Uh, the three who were among the 30, an elite group among David's fighting men, went down to meet him there. So David's in a cave, right, and and the Philistine army is out there. Uh, David was staying in a stronghold at the time, and a Philistine detachment had occupied the town of Bethlehem. David remarked longingly to his men, Oh, how I would love some of that good water from the well by the gate at Bethlehem. Now pause right there. Okay, they're in this cave. They're hiding. It's a stronghold. It's a fortress that they have. The three and David are there, okay? And, and the Philistine army has come in between them and Bethlehem. Now, all the prophecies we know is that Jesus is going to come out of there, right? And And David, he... Jesus was born into King David's bloodline. So that's his like hometown. That's where he's from. And he's saying, man, he's had water from that well before. And he thinks, what I wouldn't give to have a drink out of that well. Okay, they're all, you're together with your friends and you think, man, I'd love to have a drink of water from, from, you know, this faucet over here or from, from out of town. And so uh, David remarked longingly to his men, oh, how I would love some of that good water from the well by the gate in Bethlehem. So the three broke through the Philistine lines, drew some water for the well uh, by the gate, and brought it back to David. But he refused to drink it. Instead, he poured it out as an offering to the Lord. The Lord forbid that I should drink this, he exclaimed. This water is precious as the blood of those men who risked their lives to bring it to me. So David did not drink it. These are the examples of the exploits Excuse me, of the three. Now, here's what I want you to get out of this. Okay, there's 37 men that are his elite army. Then there's the three. And you can imagine in a sense that they're his guard. They're with David all the time, okay? They probably eat with David. They're in the castle with David. They don't go, you know, to the servants' quarters. They're with David all the time, Okay. They're in this cave. The Philistine army is between them and Bethlehem. And David says, he remarks, he just says, oh, man, I wish I could have a drink out of that well. You know, man, I'm thirsty. So the three leave, break through enemy lines, get a cup or or a canteen of some kind, fill it with water, and bring it back. I assume they had to break back through the Philistine lines and get back to the cave to give it to him. Here's what you have to understand about this story. He was never just David to them. He was always King David, always. He was never, oh, that's David, good God, shut up. The water's on the other side of the army. What do you want us to do, break through there and get you a drink? I mean, right? But instead, they just go, and he he didn't command them. It says that he remarked, oh, man, I wish I could have a drink. The next thing they're coming in, here's a cup of water, sir. Because he was always King David. He was never just David to them. They never got comfortable with him enough to be like, oh, that's just David. And we, they loved him. They, they fought together, bled together, cried together. I mean, they fight so long. I mean, the, the one, Eleazar, they fight so long that he can't lift his sword. And he and David are fighting together. And they built this bond. I've been in this church my whole life. I've seen a lot of people come through that door, and I've seen a lot of people walk out that door. And one of the number one things I've seen in my life is people think that they're equal with Pastor Rusty and Miss Vicky. They think somehow that I'm on the same level. What, what happens is you, come, you become too comfortable. And I'm going to show you some verses to kind of refresh your mind. I, I believe the people in this room right now, you're some of the most loyal, uh, respectful people of Pastor Rusty and Miss Vicky. There's nobody in this room that I think, man, you don't live like this, but I want to refresh your mind. I want to remind you. Now, here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that like pastor's the king and you have to bow and serve and, oh, go get him a cup of water. But I'm saying what I want you to get out of that story is that respect they had for King David. And he was never just David. He was always King David. And, and, and pastor needs to always be pastor rusty and never just, oh, that's just rusty. We always need to remember him as pastor. And I want to show you some verses uh, to back this up. The first thing is, is that our pastors are called by God. Um, I want to read some verses, and then I'm going to tell you a story. It says, Ephesians 4.11 uh, through verse 12 says, Now, these are the gifts Christ gave the church. Now, you notice I have gifts highlighted. Christ gave the church, the apostle, the prophet, evangelist, and the pastor and teacher. Their responsibility is to equip God's people, which is you, uh, to do his work and build up the church to the body of Christ. Now, if you if you read this verse, you realize... Our pastors are a gift from Christ that he gave the church. Every Sunday when you come in here and sit down and Pastor Rusty gets up to speak, we need to realize that, that they are gifts from Jesus Christ himself that he put in this church for you. I, I mean, that changes your, your outlook on everything that they say. And, and what I want us to do this morning as we go through this, I want you to look at yourself. One of the most dangerous things we do in church is we say, Man, I hope so and so's listening. Man, I wish they were here. Or, Man, I wish they could get this. And what, we need to, what I want us to do, and, and myself included, is look at ourselves in our own lives. Because, you know, I, I mean, I, I start here eight years ago, and I, I mean, I was like 21 uh, when I started. And, and I had to go through that process of realizing this, that they are a gift from God to us. And not only is, is he my dad, not only is Miss Vicki my mom, but they're my pastors more than that. And that I, I have to sit in here and, and have that level of respect to know that they're a gift that Christ gave the church, uh, the pastor and the teacher. And the responsibility is to equip us, the church, so that we can go out and build up the body of Christ. Now, Romans 12, 3 through 8, it says, because of the privilege and the authority God has given me, it's it's Romans, so Paul is talking, I give each of you this warning, don't think you are better than you really are. Now, I have that highlighted, and and here's what I want to tell you about this verse. Paul was kind of always ticked off, okay? Paul would go to a place, and the church wouldn't be doing kind of where he left it off, and he'd be kind of frustrated, he'd be kind of mad. So he's a little harsh in this. He's like, you you know, you don't need to think you're better than you are. So uh, I, I was listening to some old messages. I'm talking like 1800 stuff, like, like, you know, early, early church where they could barely record it. And, and I was listening to this, this black preacher and he, he, he got up and said, uh, he said, uh, the message needs to tan your hide. The message just needs to tan your hide. And so that's kind of where Paul's coming from. He's like, Man, I'm going to wear you out. And he's saying, so don't think you better than you really are. So what he's saying is, is you're not on the same level as, as our pastor's. And we can't ever think of ourselves as equals or on the same level because I know as much Bible or because I've been to a certain Bible school or or because I've done this that I'm kind of on the same level. Because I'm gonna get to it, there's a calling and an anointing on their life that no school or knowledge or anything can give. And so he he says, like, don't think that you are better than you really are. Be honest in your evaluation of yourselves, measuring yourselves by the faith that God has given us. Just as you body. Bodies have many parts, and each part has a special function. So it is with Christ's body. We are many parts of one body, and we belong to each other. In his grace, God has given us different gifts. There it is again. God has given us different gifts for doing certain things well. So if God has given you the ability to prophesy, speak out with as much faith as God has given you. If your gift is serving others, serve them well. If you are a teacher, teach well. Now, in the early days of the church, they called preachers elders. I'm talking about like Acts, you know, Churches just started. Paul's going around, and he's meeting with churches. He's talking about being in Asia, and he tells Titus, hey, go gather up all the elders. And what he's saying is go out to all the church we've planted and bring the pastors in. Then elders turned into teachers, and then, and then it kind of transforms into what we have today of pastors. Pastors really isn't even in the Bible. And so when they say if you're a teacher, they're saying if you're a pastor, teach well. And so it says right there again that it is a gift from God, that our pastor is a gift. If your gift isn't to encourage others, be encouraged. If it is giving, give generously. Uh, If God has given you leadership abilities, take the responsibility seriously. And if you have the gifts of showing kindness to others, do it gladly. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Everybody in this room has gifts. Paul lists tons of gifts right there. And you've all been given gifts. But... There's only one that's been given the gift of the pastoral role in this church, and that's our pastors. And they are a gift from Christ Himself to our church uh, to speak into your life, to guide you, and to direct you. Now, that's number one is there a gift? And and I can guarantee you, if you'll come in here and you you sit down, and when Pastor gets up here to preach, when Miss Vicky gets up here to preach, and you listen to them and think this is a gift from God, right? Sent to me, God God thought it important enough, thought Tulia important enough to send Pastor Rusty and Miss Vicky, uh, you know. Pastor Rusty and Miss vicky they've been in the ministry for, for 30 years, but even more than that, just at this church for 30 years, uh, they've been in ministry for a lot longer than that. And so they've made lots of friends over the years, uh, pastor friends all around the area. And lots of them will say, what are you doing in Tulia? And what, what do they mean? Tulia not important. There's 5,000 people. Why don't, why don't you go to somewhere that matters? You know why? Because God cares about you. And he thought, I'm going to send Pastor Rusty there because I know he's going to do something because I've called him and I've anointed him to be there to speak to you. And then what we do is we make, and I'm, I'm talking to myself. I didn't be sitting on the front row listening. We come in here and we think, well, that's just Rusty. That, that's just Rusty. And we, we can't do that. We have to view them as a gift. And now I want to talk to you about um, our pastors are anointed by God. And this is Acts 20, 28. Through 29. And Paul, this is where he's gathered the elders of the church, the pastors, and he's, pe- he, he's talking to preachers right here. He says, So guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, which is you, shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as elders or as preachers. I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Now, I want to go back to verse 28 and I want to show you some things. Uh, It says, To guard yourselves and God's people. So, he's telling the pastors to guard God's people and to feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood. Jesus had to come to earth, die on a cross defeat death, hell, and the grave, and raise from the dead to start start church as a whole, the church. He had to purchase it with his own blood, with his own life. He purchased it, bought it with his blood, and then said, now I want to give it to the pastors for them to run with it. And then he warns them and says, but be careful because vicious wolves are coming. And some people even in your midst will rise up, right, to, to take their own following. So you can imagine I go downtown, and I rent a building, and I start TCF 2.0. And I say, man, come to TCF 2.0 because it's better than the regular TCF, right? And, and that's what he's talking about, these vicious wolves that come in to take away. Now, here's what I want you to get out of this verse, and it's so important. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit has appointed you as pastor, the Holy Spirit, God, Jesus Christ, appointed them as our pastors. No one has the weight or the calling that they do on their life. When I was a junior in high school, I, uh, I thought I wanted to be a firefighter. And that's what I was going to I was going to graduate, go to Fire Academy at Amarillo College, and then uh, you know, work up to get my bachelor's degree and be an EMT and, and do all of that and go to work as a firefighter. And so what I did is, is I, you call the program uh, and you... Uh, you like have an interview with the staff and they interview you, a uh, personal interview to see if you can, you know, if they, if they want you. And so I went to the interview uh, my senior year and um, I, I met with the guy and the, one of the things he told me was, is he said, you have to realize that this is not a job, this is a calling to be a firefighter, right? This isn't a job, this is a calling. And he said, you're either called or you're not. And so I went through that, and they, they called me back and said, you know, we want you to come do the physical part of the test. And, and my junior year, we went up for like a firefighter's day, and so I'd already passed that uh, the year before, so I knew I could do it. And so we got the dates, wrote them down, and then what happened is, is, is camp fell on the same dates as that interview and that physical test. And so I had to decide, do, do I want to stay home and go do that and get into Fire Academy and go do that, or do I want to go to Discovery Camp? And I can't explain it to you, and I don't expect you to understand, but I felt like I should go to camp instead. I don't want to do that. I want to go to camp because I wasn't called to be a firefighter. God was calling me into the ministry, and I had that, that draw and that desire to go to camp and not to do that, and the ministry is the same way. Uh, Paul said that it burns in his soul to preach, that's what Paul said, it burns inside of me to preach. Jeremiah, uh, who we have the verse, he was a prophet, and he said, my body literally withers away if I don't preach. He said, I become weak if I don't preach. That's what Jeremiah said. And, and, and so there's a calling on Pastor Rusty that we know nothing about. I heard a pastor say one time that nobody cares for the people like the pastor does. Nobody does. Nobody does. I don't. The band, any staff member, you know, we care and love you, but not like they do because they have a call on their life and an anointing on their life that we know nothing about. You could imagine that, that I buy a Ferrari, okay, and, and I, I buy this brand new red Ferrari and I take it over to Arthur's house and I say, hey, would you, would you take care of this for a while? You know, could you just clean it up, drive it, I don't care, change the oil, keep the tires nice. I'm going to go away for a while, and I'll be back, and I'm going to come pick it up. I'm going to come pick it up, okay? So I leave, and I'm gone for a while, when I get back, it's dirty and scratched up, and the tires are bald, and the oil hadn't been changed. And, and, and I say, Arthur, man, what, what the heck? And he said, oh, well, I just told Ashley to take care of it for a while. Then I say, well, I didn't leave it to Ashley. I left it to you. And that's exactly the same thing that God did it is in those verses. It says that God bought the church with his blood. He bought it with his blood and he gave it to Pastor Rusty and Miss Vicky. And nobody's going to be held accountable for what happens here except them. Think about the weight of that on your shoulders, that he'll be held accountable for what is done in this church. And so every time anything happens or goes on, you always have to have that in your mind. There's a weight and a calling on them that I don't understand and that we don't understand. And God bought the church with his blood, and, and the Holy Spirit appointed them uh, to be over it. Jeremiah 3.15 says, uh, I will give you shepherds after my own heart. Now, Jeremiah was a prophet, and so he's prophesying what God's saying. And he's saying, I'll give you shepherds after my own heart, heart who will guide you with knowledge and understanding. Pastor Rusty and Miss Vicki are shepherds of this church after God's own heart. And they're here to guide you with knowledge and understanding. With knowledge and understanding from the word of God. Right? Peter and and, and those guys, after Jesus ascended to heaven, they get arrested for preaching in the synagogue. And they're brought before, and they say that, man, they're uneducated men, but you can tell they've been with Jesus. See, it's not about an education. It's about you know that that man's been with Jesus. When you get around them, when you get around Miss Vicky, with the words come out of their mouth, you know that they've been with Jesus, and they're here after God's own heart to guide us with knowledge and with understanding. James 3.1 says that, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church or, or pastors or preachers, for we who teach will be judged more strictly. And that goes right along with what I've been saying. God's going to hold them accountable. You don't have to worry about it. Because God's going to do it. It says that they will be judged more strictly for teaching, for being a pastor. Because he's responsible for this church. Because Jesus bought it with his blood and said, here, I want to give this to you. And I want you to take care of it. And I'm going to be back to come get it. And make sure that everything's going good. Everything, everything's working right. Make sure everybody's okay. Polished up, cleaned up, been oiled, right? Fed. I want to come get a bunch of skinny sheep. Feed them, Right? And that's what God said. You have to understand that number one, our pastors are a gift from Jesus Christ himself. That they've been called and anointed by the Holy Spirit to speak. That they're here to guide you with knowledge and understanding straight from the word of God. See, pastor may read a verse and explain it and you say, how in the world did you see all that? Because he's called to do it. And it's okay that you're not. But he was called to do it, to help you to understand, to equip you so that you can go out and do ministry. You may read the Bible at home and think, man, I didn't get anything out of that. That's fine. Just keep reading it. And pastor sees things differently. And that last verse that that they'll be judged more strictly, I think, you know, growing up in church, you know, Megan and I, we, we first get married, and we kind of start talking about serving in church. We both served in church, you know, our whole lives. We've always helped. And uh, we kind of started arguing about, you know, I said it was different for us as the pastor's kids. There was a different weight on our family that wasn't on their family because they weren't the pastors. And she kind of got frustrated with me and she didn't really understand. And after a year of serving, uh, you know, with us and, and, and being married, she said, I know what you meant. I know what you were talking about because there's a different weight on us, on the pastor's, than there is on everybody else. And so what I want to encourage you with is always remember that they're a gift. Always remember they're anointed by God. You know, think about if a pastor came up to you after this service and said, hey, uh, I've noticed this in your life and I think you ought to quit doing it. How would you react? Or, or hey, I, I think uh, you need to start doing this differently in your life. You know, in the early, when I very first started preaching, uh, my mom would always joke and say, we're going to go on a Coke date. What that meant is I'm going to tell you what you're doing wrong. And and how that you're not a very good preacher, and you need to study more, practice more. I don't know what you're doing, but it ain't working. And I'm like, geez. Thanks. And she, first service, she said she didn't do that, but I was there, and I remember. And uh, and 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 you know, just that 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 struggle and that weight that was on them, and that was on us as kids growing up. And I think what we, I don't, I don't think I know what we need to be doing as a church is as pastor equips us, we need to be battling on their behalf. The Satan, the devil, darkness, hell, attacks them in a way that we know nothing about because he has the call of pastor on his life. He's responsible for all of y'all. So the devil, if he can tear him down, he can tear every one of you down. And so he, ta- he attacks him and Miss Vicki and even our family in a way that sometimes he doesn't. Y'all And I'm not discounting you or saying that you don't have warfare, the devil's not after you because he is. But I think as a church, we need to come together and we need to be praying for our pastors. We need to be binding hell. We need to be binding the devil. When they speak, we need to be listening, right? We need to be taking notes because it's a gift from God. When pastor gets up here, pastor ain't talking. God is. He's speaking through him to you. And it's an absolute gift from heaven to you. You know, I was joking ground zero, you know, what if Jesus could come preach tonight? What if I said, hey, next week, you know, first Saturday, we're having Jesus in. Uh, He's been traveling around the area, and so we thought we'd have him in. Seems like a really cool guy. Uh, I mean, we would all be freaked out, like, oh, my gosh, Jesus is coming. But when Pastor... Preaches Jesus is speaking through him, and so I want to encourage you to be praying for your pastors to be just, just very simply, just you know, Satan, I bind you off of our pastors. Nothing complicated. Just use the name of Jesus. I speak the name of Jesus over our pastors. All right, it doesn't have to be hard, some long, complicated prayer. Just I speak the name of Jesus over our pastors, right over their household. Because the devil wants to tear them down. And it's our responsibility to be fighting for them, praying for them, caring for them. Just like King David's men. They fought through the Philistines to get a cup of water for him. And I'm not talking about after the service running out and getting a cup of water for him. But doing that spiritually. That we're fighting through hell to help expand what God has called them to do here. So when I do get to the other side, uh, I'm a beaten up, frozen, sword-handed warrior right? And that when I get to heaven, I come dragging in, beat up and scarred because I fought hell for our pastors. Amen? Amen. Why don't you bow your head and close your eyes? Heavenly Father, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus. And I pray that you would just, you would stir it in our hearts that our pastors are a gift from you, a gift from heaven that Father, when they speak, we would listen. We would listen intently as if you were standing in the room talking yourself, Father God, that you would give us a newfound faith and strength to fight for them, to fight on their behalf, to fight through enemy lines, to fight through darkness, and to come against it in their life. Father God, that we wouldn't grow too familiar uh, in in our relationship with them, Father God, that we would always hold them in respect and honor as pastors. Father God, that you're stirring that in us. In Jesus' name, and everybody said Amen. Hey, why don't y'all go ahead and stand to your feet.